first fielder. He's gone to the dog. Welcome to the Gone to the Dogs podcast. Another week has gone by, and here we are behind the microphone again with a terrific guest for you today. We're I'm really looking forward to introducing our guest to you. I just want to bring up a couple of things here in the way of some housekeeping before we get into our uh uh, conversation with our guest today. I, I will say briefly that I think that this conversation today is one of the most important subjects that I've addressed since I've been podcasting because it impacts so many people, has so many different repercussions. And um, without spilling the beans on that, uh, I will just say that we uh, have a terrific guest today, and we're going to be talking about those issues. But um, <clears throat> I wanted to do a little bit of uh, housekeeping here. Uh, from time to time, the clubs contact me and ask me to announce events, uh, especially the larger events that they're planning. And this goes right along uh, with what we're going to be talking about today. But at any rate, I announced last week that the club at uh, King's Tree, South Carolina, is holding the King's Tree Jamboree. This is a PKC event. Uh, they uh, list it as a joy super hunt. Now, I'm not sure exactly what all that entails. I'm not familiar with Joy's uh, program for this year. We'll try to see if we can figure that one out and give you more information. But on February 10th, 11th, and 12th, uh, that's coming up real quick, uh, there will be three nights of PKC added purse events. Each night, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, we'll have a $2,000 added pup derby with a $100 entry fee. And then on those same nights, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, there will be a $1,000 added purse open event. Um, and so these events, <clears throat> again, will be held February 10th, 11th, and 12th in Kings Tree, South Carolina. The location is 375 Nelson Boulevard. All right, there will also be that $500 Pro Classics times three on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And so uh, look to ProHound Magazine for their Pro Classic ad for more details. Uh, the entry reservations, they began accepting them on January the 11th, but the uh, event must have a minimum of 24 entries reserved by February 2nd of 22 to avoid cancellation. You want to contact the uh, PKC office. I'm sure you know their number Give it to you real quick here, 812-868-1900. Your contacts there are Trinity Hartley and Sean Pinckney. So if you need information, uh, we'll try to post this on our social media, uh, on our um, Gone to the Dogs podcast Facebook page, and um, go out there and, and enjoy yourself. Three days uh, there, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, February 10th, 11th, and 12th. Okay, there I go. My housekeeping is done. Now I can uh, put on the coffee pot, kick back a little bit here, and talk to our guests, which I'm looking forward to very much. 
I, I want to introduce to the Gone to the Dogs microphone a gentleman from down in the state of North Carolina. And uh, this guy has been very, very active in coonhound events in that area for some time. I'm going to kind of refresh my memory because I've certainly met him and seen him at work uh, over the years, especially after I moved to Raleigh, North Carolina, myself, and uh, went to work for the AKC. But I'm really, really happy to have Mr. Jeffrey Robinson with us today. Jeff, can I call you Jeff? Yes, sir. That'll be fine. <laughs> How are you today? Doing fine, sir. I hope you are. Oh, yeah, I'm doing good. I'm still wheezing and hacking and, and doing all these things that goes along with these these uh, residuals with this COVID thing. But uh, thankfully, I, I got that behind me. I'm feeling good again and, and ready to get on with some podcasting. Did you go to the Grand American this year, Jeff? Yes, sir, I did. Okay, I didn't get to see you there. I I had hoped that I, I that I would, and at least if we if we did, we might have waved across the room or something. But uh, uh, how was your Grand American experience? It, it was okay. I I thoroughly enjoyed it. You know, that's a uh, like a a big fan reunion. Get to go and and visit and see people that I don't get to see on a regular basis. So I mean, that's the main reason I go is just for the fellowship. So I I I thoroughly enjoyed it. Well, that's good, and I usually do too, and this year was quite the exception for me as I started feeling bad on Thursday night, and then through Friday it wasn't getting any better. Saturday I decided I'd better pack it up and head to the house. But uh, uh, this uh, podcast is working in really well in what I had planned to be what I called my Grand American series of podcasts, of three or four podcasts that I wanted to record on the grounds there in Orangeburg that I did not get to do uh, for obvious reasons. But uh, I did uh, get to speak with Jimmy Wildman Meeks, and I think you and I mentioned earlier here that you heard that podcast. Do you know Jimmy personally? Yes, sir, I do, and I can consider it an honor and a privilege to call him my friend. I mean, he's a wealth of knowledge. And coon hunting in general, and and especially the tree and walker breed, and uh, I could you know sit and talk to him for hours. I mean, he's you know a good storyteller, and you know it's, he's just been a, a valuable asset in my life. Well, I, and I think there's a lot of people that would concur with you on that, Jeff. That, and I always look forward to seeing Jim at the Grand American, usually at the Southeastern Tree and Walker Days events as well. And uh, I did not get to see him this year. We had planned to get together and record that session live there at the Grand American. And uh, the the guys that were going to pick him up were coming out of Maryland. And mm-hmm. they got clobbered with snow and ice and uh, and had to postpone the trip. So I, I knew that I wouldn't see Jimmy, but thank goodness for phones and and technology <laughs> that we were yes, able to get that interview in. And it's been extremely popular as, as folks recognize Jim for what he has been and continues to be in the Coonhound world, just a, a real moving force, but also a very humble guy uh, that, you know, never sought out any any kind of accolades or, or uh, rewards for for doing what he's loved down through the years, and that's breed those old Yakin River Tree and Walker dogs. 
Yes, sir. Well, let's talk a little bit about who Jeff Robinson is before we go any further, because I want our uh, our listeners to uh, get to know you. And I will interject right here, folks. We are just blown away by the response that this podcast is getting. The number of downloads that we're getting is is quite honestly staggering. I, I never thought I would see that when I started uh, podcasting uh, back a, a couple of years ago. But um, I want the, the listeners just to know uh, who you are, Jeff, where you come from, and so forth. Just give us a little backstory on Jeff Robinson. Yes, sir. My, um, like I said, my name is Jeffrey Robinson. I'm 52 years old. I recently retired from the North Carolina Department of Transportation. I was employed there for 33 years. I was born in a little town uh, in uh, southeastern North Carolina, uh, Elizabethtown. Uh, that's that's where I was born and raised. And uh, I met my wife, Kimberly, and uh, moved uh, to a little town called Roseboro in 1999. And that's where I reside now. Roseboro, North Carolina. How far is yes, that from the South Carolina line? Uh, it's about an hour and 15, 20 minutes. I'm located about 25 miles east of Fayetteville, uh, uh, right, right off of uh, NC-24. I see, of course, Fayetteville is known for Fort Bragg. Yes, sir, I'm approximately 45 minutes from Fort Bragg. I see. Are you able to hunt any of that reservation? It's open to the hunt, to hunting, but I've never hunted on it. I know some people that do, but I don't. I see, I see. All right, so uh, so you're retired now. Yes, sir. And what are you finding to keep yourself busy? I've got a long honeydew list that I do <laughs> during the day, and, and then I've got, you know, I'm blessed with some nice young dogs that, that I'm enjoying, and, you know, most nights, you know, I, you know, go hunt for a drop or two and then, you know, come back home, so I'm just being lazy in the daytime and hunting a little bit at night. Well, that's good, and you're privileged to have some spots there, I guess, that you can hunt. Are your hunting spots still holding up pretty good, or is it like a lot of people? Well, I'm blessed in the area of the state that I live in is not, it's not, you know, um, it's it's, it's not been developed yet, and there's a lot of uh, paper company owned um, uh, land in my Mm -hmm. area. And you know, uh, you know, in southeastern North Carolina, it's legal to run deer dogs. So I'm a member of some deer dog clubs and lease some land. And then I've got some friends that you know let me hunt on their land. So I'm, right now, I'm in pretty pretty good shape as far as places to hunt. Well, that's great news. That's great news. And you know, that's that's the key. Seems to be all across the country right now to our sport and to the future of the sport is being able to have a place to turn those dogs loose. Our, uh, what breed do you? You know, coon hunting, when I was a teenager in high school, I had an auto mechanics teacher that uh, that introduced me to coon hunting. And like a lot of the people in our sport, uh, you know, we, uh, you know, I was exposed to the, you know, to the, um, to the book where the red fern grows. So I started out in red bones and I hunted those for, <laughs> for three or four years. And, and then I, you know, did like a lot of people do. I kind of, kind of got away from coon hunting for a while. And when I got back in, um, the reason I went to the walkers is, you know, there's good dogs in every breed. But when I got back in, I just saw how hard it was to find a, a good quality red bone. And uh, 
you know, I found, you know, at, you know, I worked for the for the government, so you know my funds were limited. And and with a with a with the tree and walker breed, uh, you can find a dog that's this um, you know, this um, say a started dog maybe, or like a started dog, or even a dog that'll run a tree at a, at a cheaper price. So and it's easier to find them. You don't have to you know ride all over everywhere to find one. So that's the reason that I just chose the walker breed because it was easier to find a dog that would meet my need. I I got you. I got you. Well, when did the competition thing come along for you? Well, I, um, you know, when I hunted with the Red Bones, I had a dog in 1991 that was qualified for the World Hunting Show. And I, you know, competition hunted back then. And then, like I said, I stayed out of coon hunting for close to 10 years. And when I got back in, back in in 2002, I started um, competition hunting on a regular basis, you know, at that point and, and have been involved in it ever since. So I've been back in it close to 20 years. Well, that's, that's a considerable amount of time for sure. And, uh, well, um, I, I don't want to jump right into our main event here because there is something that I really want to discuss with you because I think you've got some insight into, uh, to our, our subject. Uh, I want to ask you just generally, what's the temperature of coon hunting uh, down there in your part of of, uh, of North Carolina? I, I know that most people are going to tell me that, you know, there aren't as many coon hunters as there was at one time, maybe, maybe back when you started there 20 years ago or whatever. But how how is coon hunting looking right now in your part of the country? As far as far as the actual sport is is thriving. I mean, there's there's a whole lot of more pleasure hunters than there are competition hunters within a thirty mile radius of my where I live. There's probably uh, twenty five to thirty pleasure hunters. And as far as the competition hunts, they're like everywhere else. They're you know falling off. You know, to, you know, if we you know used to you know thirty years ago. When I was involved in the sport before, you know, yeah, you could, on an average night you're looking at forty to fifty dogs on the low side, and now if you draw twenty dogs, you've had a good night. Yeah, well, I'm I'm sure that's the case pretty much across the country. As we talk to people from all the way out in West Texas, and you know, coming back, uh, you know, the coon hunting sport traditionally uh, over the years has been the uh, active in the states that border the Mississippi River to the west. Those states like, uh, for instance, Arkansas and Missouri and Kansas and so forth, take those states and then move eastward. And that's where most of your coon hunting is. There isn't a lot of coon hunting, at least competition coon hunting, out west in, in the big, big western states. But... Uh, if you go over that entire uh, area, I think you're going to find what you're saying is pretty has been pretty much the norm. But the thing that I'm noticing, and maybe it's just because of my age, is that I am seeing just an influx of new hunters, names that I don't recognize. Of course, I'm not out there at the events every weekend like I was for so many years. 
you know. So I don't, uh, you know, I, I know when I went to PKC, it was a learning curve for me to learn the names of all the regulars, you know, at the PKC events. But I felt like from the by the time that I left there to go to the AKC after about seven years, I felt like I knew just about everybody walked in the door. But now I look at ProHound Magazine, I look on at the ProHound.com website, uh, or the UKC for that matter, and I don't recognize most of the hunters that are out there, you know. And yes, sir. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's, it's just, uh, it's evolving, it's changing all the time, and that's good. You know, that's a good thing to have these new hunters, uh, coming in and, um, uh, and I, I want to get into, uh, again, I keep alluding to what the main thing that I want to talk to you about, but, um, what, uh, you, you're, you're saying I'm stuttering here a little bit. You're saying that there's a lot of pleasure hunters that are coming along as opposed to competition hunters, right? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Now, wh- how are these guys getting introduced into the sport, do you think? I think the m- majority of them, you know, have just grown up in the sport. And, you know, they've, I think, you know, uh, they've always, you know, just pleasure hunted. And, you know, and uh, you know as, as good as I do, they, they've heard all the war stories of how crooked the competition hunts are and, and how if you go, you're going to get cheated and that kind of thing. And they've always just strayed away from it. Yeah, and that's unfortunate because that stuff is all overstated, I believe. You may disagree with me, Jeff. No, I, I agree with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I you know, there are incidents for sure, and uh, human nature being what it is, uh, you know, there's going to be a few, <laughs> few knuckleheads, and uh, unfortunately I got to meet my share of those down through the years, maybe more so than most. but. Um, well, the, one of the main things is we've talked here almost 20 minutes now that I wanted to talk to you about is a post that you made and uh, in on Facebook, and I, it just resonated so well with me. And if you uh, do, I have your permission to read this post. Yes, sir. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. All right. This is posted by Jeffrey Robinson at about 15 hours prior to our speaking right here. It says, to all the armchair quarterbacks that like to find fault with the local Coon Club officials, I will gladly step aside and let you take my place. Before you sign up, let me tell you the requirements. Be a member of three clubs and attend every meeting and help with every hunt which requires sometimes withdrawing your dog to have to guide or judge a cast or to cook or whatever else is needed. Vice president of the state association, which requires taking two weeks off and travel all over the IS. Now, what is that? Uh, That was a misprint. It was supposed to say U.S. The U.S. Thank you. (laughs) Okay. Folks, this is uh, organic here. We're just, you know, uh, we're not we're not polished here. We're just we're real. Anyway, travel all over the U.S. to raise money to buy prizes for the hunters and show people in our state, the hunters and the show people. 
attend meetings to help fight laws that would affect coon hunting in our state, help put on all the events put on by the state association, most times having to leave my dog at home to be the master of hounds at the hunt, judging bench shows and being master of hounds whenever asked so everyone can enjoy our sport, which requires leaving my dog at home. Just in case you're wondering, all these jobs pay nothing. I've enjoyed all these activities for a long time, but I'm getting burned out by all the negative remarks and accusations. I'm about ready to quit it all and stay home and pleasure hunt, and hopefully some of you all that have all the answers will step up to the plate and fix all the problems I left. Jeff, there's no doubt that I can feel the frustration in your post. And I think anybody that has worked in a coon club at any capacity, state, local, uh, national level, and I will say that I've done all those things, feels that frustration that you feel. And I, you know, we've been on this soapbox before. You know, and I could spend the better part of an hour here just extolling the virtues of all those club members all across the country that are responsible for these events being held. And at the same time, I could really get an attitude, you know, toward a lot of the guys that think their only responsibility in coon hunting and to see coon hunting go forward is to walk up to an entry table flop an entry slip down and their entry fee and go hunting. If they win, they had a great time. If they lost, there was problems. It was crooked. Somebody cheated them, whatever. Now, I realize not all coon hunters and sportsmen are that kind of guy. But what is the basis on, of some of this frustration that you're feeling, Jeff? Oh, uh, well, well don't get me wrong, you know, I think social media is a good platform, you know, for with positive remarks pertaining to coon hunting. But if it's, it's like any other tool, if it's not used in the right way, it can cause damage. And, you know, if an event has to be canceled because of weather or something's not done to somebody's, you know, to, to their liking, I think, it, you know, social media is a damaging tool to use to, to down a club or down a person because of something that ha- happened at an event. You know, if, if you feel like you've been cheated at an event or something's not gone your way at an event, be a, be a man, contact that person and speak to them on a one-on-one basis and work it out between you. But to get on social media and start, you know, uh, down an organization or down on an individual, you know, that just, you know, if, if, you know, I'm a real passionate person, and when I, you know, feel like I've done all I can do, and then I start getting bashed, then I take it personal, and that's that's you know that's where my frustration comes in. Well, I think that's certainly uh, understandable, and I think anybody that's worked it with the club feels that way. I will say this right up front: you know, most of the problems that people have stem from two or three different sources. 
first of all, if he's if it's a problem with something that happened at an event out in the woods, there are rules and procedures to cover virtually any of those problems that you can think of. There are are procedures in place for questioning a call. There are procedures in place for appealing a decision. The registries have done a great job of putting together procedures and policies and so forth that cover virtually any situation that happens out there in the woods. You know, if there are procedures for questioning a judge's call, uh, you know, taking a vote, all of these kind of things, and there are procedures in place for appealing it on up the line to the registry and so forth. And so many times, uh, you know, these these problems could be alleviated or the brush fires could be put out before they ever get to that stage, you know. And uh, having been with the registries many uh, and seeing many of these situations come across my desk, you know, we used to say, I remember particularly in PKC, if you come, you know, when you come in the door, well, did you vote on this situation? If it was a open event and, there, you know, it was not using pro rules, did you vote on this? Well, no. Well, go back outside and vote on it before you bring it in here, you know. So anyway, the point being, Jeff, is that there are procedures there in place. Um, and, and But then your point is very, very well taken is that if you have a complaint with someone or you didn't like the way the grass was cut or you didn't like the location of the trash cans on the club grounds or you your hamburger wasn't medium well instead of well done, you need to go and take that up with the person involved face-to-face. Now, I know I'm sounding facetious here, okay? And I know that most of the complaints you get are not of that nature. But it does concern you when you've done your best to go out and put on a nice event for. And I read earlier here these boys in Kingstree, South Carolina, somebody went out and got all of this money for added purses. That stuff didn't just fall out of the air, as you well know, right? Yes, sir, that's. See, that's another thing that, that concerns me. You know, I'm the vice president of North Carolina State Coon Hunters Association. And, you know, we put on um, our state hunt and we put on a, a hunt for the hunters in the, uh, or for the house people in the eastern part of the state and one for the ones in the western part of the state. And we spend thousands of dollars, you know, giving away money and lights and, and different prizes. And we also put on the North Carolina State Youth Hunt. And we travel all over, you know, we go to Automotes, we go to, uh, we go to Southeastern Tree and Walker Day, Southern English Day, various different events and sell raffle tickets to raise money, you know, for these prizes. And we do all this travel expense on our own, out of our own pockets. And it's just, you know, hurtful. You know, we've had some meetings and people would want to know how much money was in that account and how it was spent. And who decided on how it's been pretty much questioning the way, you know, you know, questioning the money 
when it was money that we raised on our own off of our own dollar and instead of you know i don't want to pat on the back but you know, instead of just saying hey we appreciate what you all are doing uh you know they're criticizing and wanting to know where the money's going and you know every dime of it is you know can be accounted for and where we spend it but they don't don't act like they appreciate you know what we've done they just want to question and find fault jeff would you believe me if i told you when i was about 16 years old i was elected um and i don't know why i wasn't smart enough to say no but I was elected secretary and treasurer of my local coon club in southern West Virginia. All right. And without going into a lot of individual details and everything else, what that basically entailed is kind of what you what you said here on a much smaller scale, what you've said in your post. You know, I had to put the ad in the news local newspaper to tell when the event was going to be held. I had to contact the trophy manufacturer and get some trophies there and ribbons there. You know, I had to uh, make sure there were soft drinks in the cooler. I had to make sure that the coon uh, in the cage for the trend contest or the water race or the field trial was there. I had to make sure that somebody, and many times it was me, had laid that that drag, and there was always somebody that wasn't happy with the way the the dogs were running the drag, and that, of course, had to do with the guy that was, was laying it. So I, I say all those things and not asking for sympathy and all, and I know you aren't, but I got a dose of that early, early in my career, okay? And I don't know why <laughs> I, uh, I, I took that abuse. I would go to the meetings, and here would be a dozen guys sitting around a pot-bellied stove at the union hall there where we had our meetings, uh, a coal miners' union, and talk about, well, this wasn't right last time, and this wasn't right last time, and somebody's word was misspelled in the ad, and the, the time was supposed to have been six instead of seven, and on and on and on, and those, uh, I called it the, well, I didn't coin this term, but it, it was out there, uh, the I'm again it club. Whatever, you know, somebody's doing, somebody's working, there's this group that's going to be in the wings buzzing, you know, bzz, 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 about, well, this should have been done this way and that should have been done that way. And those, those trophies were an inch taller last year than they are this year. And, and, you know, so I can identify so well with what you're saying and the frustration that comes along with it, because as you said, you know, by and large, this is all volunteer work. This is work that you're doing because you love the sport, you love the kids, you want to do things for them. You mentioned the youth hunt and all of these things, you know, and it always amazed me. Uh, I used to say that coon hunters think there's a Santa Claus that drops all of this stuff down the chimney. You know, all these lights, all these prizes for the kids, all these coon squallers. God forbid the man that gave a kid a coon squaller at a youth hunt. Because <laughs> it's, 
all you could hear is those coon squallers going nonstop. But it's a great sound to know that those kids are there and they're enjoying themselves and having fun. But somebody had to do all that, you know. And, and uh, well, Jeff, what what can we do? You know, I, I think we all know if we've tried to help or tried to do anything, there's always going to be, as you said, the armchair quarterbacks. They're going to be sitting off in the wings. And I don't know where their motivation comes from or how they justify what they do. But what can we do about that? I, I, you know, thinking back, you know, 30 years, you know, back in, in the early 90s when I came hunted before, you know, there was a whole lot more people involved in clubs. You know, I remember going to clubs and, you know, their wives and all would be in the kitchens cooking. And, you know, back and I know you're familiar with this, back in that time frame, you had to have non-hunting judges for night champion cast. And, People were willing to leave their dogs at home, you know, to judge cats. And, you know, I know in the in the, in the the world in which we live right now that people are not going to take it that seriously. But I, I, I think that, that people, you know, if they hear this podcast, they, they just need to take a self-exam you know, and see where they're at with their coon hunt and think about their local club and, you know, just uh, find it in their heart to, to you know, to, 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 to join and you know, if you're, in my opinion, if you're not a part of the, the solution, then you're a part of the problem. And you know, go help these people out. If you know, if you can, if you can't guide a cast, go cook a hamburger. If you can't cook a hamburger, you know, help set up for the bench show. But just help out in some way to where the, the load doesn't fall on the same people every time. And you know, and you don't, you know, just suck the blood out of the, the very few and just drain them to the point that, 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 that they get to where they, you know, where they just you know, dread to see a, a hunt date come up. Well, I think that's exactly right, Jeff. And, you know, one of the things I know when my son was growing up, uh, we had Boy Scouts in our church, and he got involved in the scouting program, so naturally Dad did. And I became what we called, we didn't call them scout leaders, we called them commanders. The group was called uh, Royal Rangers. But at any rate, it got me involved, and all through the years that he was involved in that program, I was, I was there whenever there was a camp out, wherever there was a Pinewood Derby race or whatever it happened to be that we did with the boys. You know, it involved me and my son as well as a lot of other dads, and I, I'm getting a lot of of uh, contacts. Uh, you know, you wouldn't believe the number of. Uh, messages and messenger texts and so forth that I get uh, as a result of this podcast. And so many times it's young, it's uh, the young fathers with their boys and their, and their daughters that, you know, are getting involved in the sport and want to get their kids involved. You mentioned the red bone dogs. I had a, a text just yesterday from a fellow that got a couple of seven-month-old red-bone pups. He said, I don't really plan to do anything in competition with these pups. I realize already that I should have just got one instead of two to begin with, but I just want to make dogs that my kids and I can go out and enjoy and have fun at night, you know, tree and coons. And uh, so... You know, I would urge anyone out there, especially if you have younger people in your family, to uh, 
to get involved in a local coon club. And here again, this COVID thing is is getting to me. I'm going to take a real quick cough break. But at any rate, um, I think that is definitely the key that people are going to have to get involved in these clubs if they're going to exist. Now, I wanted this to be your podcast, and I talk too much. (laughs) But I will say this. I'm watching the sport of coon hunting rise to levels in, in the monetary world that I never thought that it would reach. I'm seeing prices of dogs going into six figures and beyond. I'm seeing entry fees going into four figures and beyond. Um, and those people that are able to play at that level, I, I appreciate them. I'm glad they're doing what they're doing. I'm glad they're having fun. I'm glad that they're making a lot of money when they do win. I do know they're spending a lot of money when they don't. But that's not what I'm concerned about in this sport. I'm, I'm concerned about the local club, the club where the rubber meets the road, the entry level, where that dad with his boys or girls come and they can get a nice, wholesome family atmosphere. They can enjoy the dogs. They can enjoy the bench show and the water race and the train contest and the dash race and, and all of these things and build coon hunters, you know, starting at the ground up. And without that, you and without the troops, I call them, you know, the ones that are out there doing the work every weekend, to make that happen it's not going to happen i i agree um you know i'm um i have two of the clubs that i'm i'm in or am a member of we put on a, a youth hunt every march and we raise money you know to put on this youth hunt and then um i know you're familiar with the the eastern uh the uh carolina challenge that you and david Pridgen uh originated at Hallsburg. Yes, sir. I certainly do recall that hunt. Uh, you know, I helped with that. Absolutely. Yes, sir. And then the North Carolina State Youth Hunt, I helped with that. And I'm not, you know, telling you that to toot my own horn, but, you know, different people have different reasons to participate in coon hunting. And mine is to promote the sport. You know, uh, several years ago, we had our, our first RQE at our club, and I tried to line up the best guides I could for that for that hunt. We had 49 dogs that night. All right. We had, you know, at that time, only 10 dogs could, could, um, could, um, you know, qualify for the world. We had 11 cast winners. Guess who was number 11? Me. But I was more (laughs) excited over having the 49 dogs that we had in that hunt than I was qualifying for the world. And the same way with the youth hunts, I just want to promote the sport because, you know, the way time flies, I'm 52 now, and by the time I blink my eyes twice, I'll be 72, and I want to be involved in the sport as long as I'm alive, and I want to get as many people involved in it as I can so as I grow older and I'm not able to, you know, go to the tree or, you know, walk like I can now, that I'll have somebody, you know, coming along that'll that'll let me still participate in some form. So, you know, promoting the sport of coon hunting means more to me than any hunt that I could win. 
Well, Jeff, I can feel your heart in this thing, brother, because I have to say that, you know, people will look at my career and say, well, Fielder, you made a living at the registries. You know, that was your job, Uh, you know, and uh, yeah, it was my job. But long before it was my job, it was also uh, where, you know, as I said, I was secretary treasurer local coon club. I got involved in my national association and my state association. I became uh, uh, the president of the National Plothound Association. I was on the rules committee. I went to those committee meetings at my expense, you know, as you've said, you know, and, and, and then when I was at the registries, you know, as a side job, I had plenty to do with the coon hunters called me every Monday morning with the situations that happened to the hunt. But I took upon myself and my friends, and please don't let me mis, uh, misrepresent this here. I had lots and lots of great uh, folks that worked with me. But we worked hard, especially in the state of Michigan, to keep uh, the right to free cast hounds alive and well, you know, through the Michigan Bear Hunters and the Michigan Hunting Dog Federation and all of those things that that I did down through the years because it was a labor of love with me. And I'm not asking for a pat on the back or any such thing. I'm just saying that the people like yourself, Jeff, and like I was, and hundreds more out across the country that are doing these things, they're making sure these events come off, making sure that there's prizes there for these kids or the adults or the added purses as we talked about earlier today. That, you know, these make sure that these people are appreciated, recognized, and helped more than anything else. You know, I when I was involved in doing all those kind of things, I could have used the help. The pat on the back was good. It felt good. You know, say, they say like, you know, it's kind of like wetting your pants in a dark blue suit. You know, you get a nice warm feeling, but nobody notices it, you know. well. That's <laughs> that's kind of the way it, it it always was, but I I guess our message, if you if you agree with me, Jeff, is that we have got to to help people understand out there that this sport will not go on on its own. It's going to have to have legs. It's going to have to have wheels. It's going to have to have some people that'll get up off that pocketbook a little bit. It's going to have to have some people that will get up from behind the TV or come out of the woods, as been said, and, and and do what they can to help it go forward. Yeah, I to- totally agree. I mean, anywhere you go, whether it be church, a coon club, or wherever, you're going to have givers and takers, mm. but we need more givers and less takers, and we, you know, we, we're all working together. You know, as as a common goal, we all got a common interest, and we are, you know all need to work together because you know one or two can't do it all. It, it takes all, you know, it takes more than one mule to pull this wagon. We all got to to be on the same page and work together. Well, we absolutely do, and I think you've been reading my mind as I was thinking about this podcast and what would we bill it as. And I was thinking, of course, I usually use the name of the individual that's the guest. But I was just thinking, gone to the dogs with givers and takers, and yes, you sir. hit it right on on the the head there. And we all 
can it's all right to take it's all right to go and participate in the event pay your entry fee and qualify your dog or you know for a race or maybe for the super stakes or or get it qualified for the world hunt or 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 win some money in a performance program or whatever the reasons that you enjoy you know involving yourselves in, uh, in this sport it's absolutely fine for you to do that i guess what we're saying is let's all do a little bit and then that way everybody can enjoy the sport uh you know and uh, it's almost like if if a club had four events a month at least work one of them you know you may not have to work all four but uh well we, this has been a great conversation jeff and i i personally on a personal note hope that you won't become too discouraged because I know that you've done a terrific job. You know, you mentioned that Carolina Youth Challenge and our our good friend, the late uh, David Pridgen and and Derry uh, Somers- Somerset. Somerset. Yes, sir. Yeah, those guys. I, you know, and I remember. You correct me if I'm wrong here. I remember the club at Delco and the club at Clarendon. And what was the other? Was it the club at Supply or what? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Coastal Coon Hunters at Supply. Yeah, yeah that worked so hard to put together that Carolina Youth Challenge, North versus South. I thought that was a great concept, yes, uh, the kids, and what a great facility. That, is it still held there at Hallsboro? Still there at the same location. As the same three clubs You know, still work together and put it on. I mean, they raised a tremendous amount of money and put on a, a quality event. You know, I remember uh, things, little things that stick in your mind. I was at uh, AKC at that time, living in Raleigh, and when we were in the organizational uh, stages of that event, going and traveling around to the clubs, and I remember one night it was cold. I mean cold, and I'm thinking it might have been the club at Delco, but I'm not sure. They had a big fireplace in that clubhouse. Uh, that's it that's it uh that's at coastal with at coastal okay man a fire never felt so good to me i mean that wind was icy cold cut right through you out there you know and and get in there and all those guys and and one thing i learned about carolina coon clubs is you don't go home hungry or if you do it's your fault no sir uh, (laughs) coastal coon club you know mr Derry and uh uh, Al, I can't remember Alfred's last name, but you know they're they're known for the best, you know, the best food at any coon club in in mm. North Carolina. I mean, it's like going to Grandma's house to eat when you go there. <laughs> I'm telling you what, some of that maybe I don't know what I'm I'm going to miss it, but those like low country bro, uh boils mm. and their chicken and dumplings and oh, yeah. all kinds of stuff. I'm, I'm telling you what, man, and just what a great great time to fellowship and and to be together with people. You know, the South has a great tradition in hunting. And it goes deeper, I think, than I've traveled all over the United States. And, you know, I read the book, The Old Man and the Kid that uh, uh, Rourke wrote and all of these things. And there's a persona about hunting in the south, in the low country, in the the coastal areas. 
that is just like unlike it's unlike any other that I've experienced anywhere in the country, and uh, so much tradition there. I think, and uh, I've always been a reader, and I love to read uh, writers like. Um, uh, well, I just now forgot his name. <laughs> It'll come back to me, but they wrote the the great stories about hunting over in the Mississippi Big Woods and all of that over there. And I wanted to say Steinbeck, but it's not. It's not. Uh, William Faulkner uh, wrote some terrific, terrific stories and novels about the hunting experience in the South. But anyway, what I guess I'm trying to get at is that this is all worth preserving. It's worth passing on. It's worth doing what each one of us can to see that it, that it continues. What's the procedure for getting into a coon club there in your area, Jeff? It's not hard to do. I mean, just uh, attend one of the meetings and, I'll pay a minimal fee, uh, you know, I, a couple of the clubs, the, 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 uh, dues aren't like, but $20 and, uh, the Duplin County Coon Hunters Association that I'm a member of in Kingsville, North Carolina. I mean, it's a deal you can't beat. It's, uh, the dues are $30, um, a year. And on the second Thursday night of, um, every month from September till May, they have a meeting and uh they feed the, the members at no cost so i mean you get more food <laughs> than what you pay for and you know uh i mean they more or less they pay you to come you know with the meals and and the fell you know that's as good a group of people as you would ever you know ever want to meet and you know and and you know and, and people like that you don't mind working with because you know it's a good group we all work together you know with a common goal and you know and, and try to put on good hunts and I mean, it's, you know, you, you know, if you are, are not a member of a club, I encourage you to do it because the majority of the, of, of the best friends I have have been made through coon hunting and being a member of these organizations. Well, for sure. And just think about where can you go and take your wife or spouse out for $30 and have a good meal, that's, plus that's all the fellowship that you have. That's yeah. 10 meetings for the whole year. And then, you know, they have a, uh, Christmas party uh, at Christmas and I'll uh, have a steak dinner and all that's included for $30. I mean, you, you can't lose. Well, it's the greatest bargain in the sport of hunting. There's no doubt about it. And, you know, I think so many of the hunters out there are missing this opportunity. Uh, get involved at the local club level. You can find out. Listen, send me a message uh, at, on uh, Instagram or uh Send me a messenger uh, text, and I've got a network out there, and all I've got to do is post something on on Facebook or Instagram or so forth, and uh, to be able, you know, to contact an infinite number of people, and we'll get you plugged in to a coon club somewhere in your area. Number one, I know the club will welcome your membership because they're looking for members. Uh, I mentioned my friend Nubbin Moore several times on here. I was kidding him the last last episode. And all Nubbin and I have been friends for a number of years. Nubbin is going to be, by the time this podcast airs, he'll be 81 years old. He's still active in his club by guiding cast and so forth. 
But he tells me, you know, that the, the number of dogs and the number of members in their club there in Alabama is dwindling. I know that those clubs would welcome new members. Find out when the meeting's going to be held. I can help you do that. Get out there. Just go in, sit down, uh, introduce yourself, and you'll make friends that will probably last you for a lifetime. Do you agree, Jeff? Yes, sir. That's what I was thinking about. You know, I, I try to stress this to all of the younger generation coming up. You know, the way time flies, your young dog turns into your old dog to your dead dog in a hurry. And the dogs are going to come and go. But the friendships and the relationships that you make through this sport is what's going to last a lifetime. And when you're and when you're old and sitting around the fire, you know, at the clubs, those friends that, that, that you've made over the years are going to mean a whole lot more to you than the hunts that you've won or the dogs that you've had. Jeff, I couldn't have said it better myself, and I find myself exactly in that position that you talk about. You know, I go to the White River every year just to be with guys basically my age to enjoy the fellowship, those discussions and all. And I see here, you know, in Florida where I live now as a retiree, uh, that the clubs, you know, that fellowship aspect uh, is here, but it needs, you know, some encouragement. And I'm sure that's the case all across the United States. And if we've done anything, uh, Jeff, right uh, today in this podcast, I believe is that we've tried to help and encourage people to get out and get involved in their club. It doesn't require, they're not going to make you raise your right hand and swear that you'll give up every weekend for the rest of your life for the Coon Club. But if everyone does their part and everyone gets involved and have that volunteer spirit, the grass needs mowing, well, I can get that done this this week or this month, or maybe I would advise the clubs to appoint committees, you know, to do those sort of things so one person doesn't end up doing all the work. But at at any rate, to get involved in the Coon uh, Club in your area, I think will do wonders for our sport. and. Um, and and for us as individuals because of the friendships that we'll make. Jeff, you got anything that you'd like to add today? I think we've been at this about an hour. We had a little, as I always happen, uh, seem to have, a little uh, glitch there with the recorder midway through. <laughs> so hopefully Shannon, our producer, will be able to pitch, uh, patch that together. But I think our listeners probably won't even know it if I hadn't mentioned it. But uh, what what uh, would you like to add to our conversation? I think we've pretty much got it covered. But you know, I, I like I said, I just think um, you know, for our sport to uh, continue to uh, exist, we're all like I said, we're all gonna have to work together. And not only you know, with the friends that you'll make through this, uh, you know, join a coon club. You know, if if you put on a successful event, it'll give you a feeling of accomplishment. And, you know, it'll give you, you know, put some pep in your step and make you want to come back to the next, you know, hunting. You know, and I think, you know, that uh, joining these clubs is what we're all going to have to do, you know, for our sport to survive. Well, I I totally agree with you. Now, coming up for the clubs there in your area that you're involved in, what we got coming up in uh, 2022? 
Uh, I mean, we've got, you know, I'm, I'm blessed in the area where I live. There's like 15 clubs within two hours of where I live. So, I mean, there's a hunt, um, you know, about every weekend. But as far as bigger, bigger events, uh, like, you know, like I said earlier, the North Carolina Coon Hunters Association has got uh, the Western Carolina Challenge is coming up in April the 23rd. That'll be held at the Wilkes County Coon Club in Wilkesboro, North Carolina. And then the following week, April the 29th and 30th, we've got the um, North Carolina State Youth Hunt at the Big Oak Coon Club in Albemarle, North Carolina. Well, sounds great. Sounds like events that uh, I would enjoy attending. I enjoyed living in North Carolina, and, I, and of course, I kind of migrated over to the mountains over there in Ashe County and the cabin over there and all, and just had so many great memories of my times in North Carolina, and I still get back up that way every chance I can. In fact, springtime will be coming here before long, and I'll be on those trout streams again which is one of the things that North Carolina has got some of the premier trout streams in the United States. So I, I love that aspect of it too. But, uh, well, Jeff, I think that, that we have, uh, accomplished our, our mission at least in calling attention to the, the situation involving the clubs, coon clubs. And this is all, uh, all across the United States. It doesn't just be, apply to North Carolina or, or down here in Florida where I am, or in the upper Midwest, it's it's universal. If we want to continue this great sport, we need the clubs because they're the ones that conduct the events. If everybody at the club quits and stays home, guess what, guys? There's no event. You know, these things don't just happen. I'm sure that the registry, you know, does not have the staff to come out and send representatives all over the United States to put on coon events so you can have a good time on Saturday night. You you know, it's gonna, it's, it's the concept works when the local club works. And, uh, so with that, I'm going to let, let it sit right there. Jeff, is there anything we can add before we go to the house? No, sir. I just appreciate the opportunity to be a part of your podcast and, uh, just appreciate you, uh, inviting me. Well, you're certainly welcome. You're a great representative for the sport of coon hunting in your part of the state. I've seen you in action, and I know action speaks louder than words, and you're doing a great job down there, fella. And please tell those folks that I know down there and we're privileged to meet when you see them, tell them hello for me. And hopefully I'll be back down in that uh, Carolina country before very long. Uh, but in case you're wondering where I am at any point in time, uh, Somebody ask you, where's Fielder? You tell him, he's gone to the dogs. I'll be sure to tell him. <laughs> <laughs>